Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have on Dr. Sharon Malone. She is Chief Medical Officer of Alloy and also has been an OBGYN for over 25 years. She's very well known in her field. And we are going to be talking about postmenopause. We talk so much about what you're going through in perimenopause, what happens. Yes, it's 12 months, no period, and you celebrate. And by the way, I'm so close. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like November 15th, guys. I want, I wanted a plaque. I wanted a award. You need the trophy, just like Karen Duffy said, you know? Trophy. Yes, you're finished, I want balloons. Period. Yeah, I'm finished, <laughs> period. There you go. Yes. <laughs> um, but she talks about post-menopause, because the reality is we will be on this menopausal journey until we die. So that one day of 12 months, no period starts you on this. She called it menopausal, not post-menopausal, but it is post-menopause. And there are so many factors in play that you need to consider. A lot of women think, okay, so I'm done. I won't have any symptoms anymore. And that's really not the case. She actually said something which I wasn't aware of, and that she said that the 12 months of no period is kind of just a marker. So if you were to have a period after that time, that means something could abnorm- be abnormal with you and yes. you should go get it checked. So it's not so much, oh, you're officially menopausal as, okay, if you're bleeding post 12 months, it could be something else at play. Here. That was so important. That was so important because I don't think a lot of women, you know, we always put ourselves last. So we probably would brush that off as something you know, just, oh, well, that happened. That's probably just it coming back. But that's so important to hear about what it could cause, what could cause that to be happening. And it's not always terrifying, but it's very important to get it checked out, to take the time to get that checked out. Exactly. And she also talks about HRTs and how the balancing of those sometimes can cause you to get a period three, four, five years down the road. So it's always important to have it checked out if you've gone 12 months with no period and all of a sudden, boom, there's Amflo. Yeah. It's good to get it checked yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also the, that the fact that menopause is not just an event, it's a life phase. So you're going to spend the next 30, 40, hopefully 50 years postmenopausal. Your skin's going to change. You're going to all these fun things. Just, it's like reverse puberty. It's yes. just great. And she's going to talk about all those. For those of you who don't know, October is Menopause Awareness Month. So happy Menopause Awareness Month. October 18th is actually World Menopause Day. If you didn't know we had our own day, we do. So make sure to mark that on your calendar. And another thing Bridget and I would love for you guys to mark on your calendar is an event that we're having October 19th in New York City. It's called The Marvelous Mrs. Menopause. We are hosting it alongside Care Beauty, 
two women we love, Celeste and Lori. We have some great experts and celebrities coming to join us for two separate panels. One will be on menopause and misinformation because a lot of misinformation is out there and we want to make sure that gets corrected. And the second one is on pop culture. So we're going to be talking about how media society speaks to us and how the narrative needs to change. We've got some great people on both panels, not to mention some cocktails and conversations. So if you're not in the New York City area, it's okay. We are going to have a Zoom link that you'll be able to do as well. Both of those Eventbrite uh, links will be on our website. So make sure to check those out because it's going to be a fun month. Bridget and I are going to be doing a lot of different things to celebrate, support, and create more awareness for menopause. And we are starting it off with Dr. Sharon Malone. Enjoy. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we have on Dr. Sharon Malone. And as we mentioned, she is one of the nation's leading obstetricians, gynecologists, and now the chief medical officer for Alloy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we appreciate you taking the time because the topic we wanted to talk about today was kind of what happens postmenopausal. So you have those great 12 months where you don't get a period and you celebrate on the day, but what happens after that? So many women think that magically all of their symptoms are going to disappear, and that is certainly not the case. Could you talk a little bit at first about what postmenopause is so that we have an understanding of, of where we're going? Sure. I think that just the term postmenopausal is actually somewhat of a misnomer because you are menopausal forever. So the average woman will live anywhere from 30 to 40 years after they have had that last menstrual period. Um, and the only reason why 12 that 12-month 12 um, anniversary is important, it is only to let women know when bleeding is abnormal. So until you have gone 12 months without a period, anything is fair game. You can have a period once every three months. It can last for two weeks. So that is sort of uh, our sort of medical demarcation between when bleeding is normal or abnormal. It has absolutely nothing to do with the symptoms that a woman may or may not have from that point forward. What happens when you brought up bleeding abnormally? And we've heard from different people. We have a Facebook group that they maybe haven't had a period in two years and then they're bleeding again. So is that considered abnormal bleeding? Exactly. Anytime you've gone for 12 months in a row and you have not bled and you bleed again, that is a signal that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong, but it means that that needs to be investigated. Unlike if you've not had a period for six months and you have a period again for another two or three months, eh, okay, we will put that, you will chalk that up to being still in the menopausal transition. But, the, and the reason why we sort of hold to that is because one of the uh, cancers that comes up in women, postmenopausal women, is endometrial cancer. And it has a very early warning sign and it is very often curable. And that sign is postmenopausal bleeding. So that's why we don't want to sleep on any bleeding that has happened more than 12 months after the last period. I read a report recently that the UK did research on menopause queries in Google. And the second most 
frequently asked question is postmenopausal heavy bleeding. So it does seem to happen more often. Does What about the relationship with HRTs and the bleeding after you have your period? Is there any relationship that you should be concerned with about that? Well, um, again, this is something where it's a little bit of art as opposed to science, because most women who start hormone replacement therapy are starting it because they're symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And it would be cruel and inhumane to say to a woman, okay, well, I know you've got terrible symptoms, but let's wait 12 months to see if you really have had your last period before we start therapy. That's really not the way it works in the real world. Uh, in most cases, women will start the uh, hormone replacement when they are most symptomatic. And when, you know, and it may be you haven't had a period for three or four months or six months and you start hormones. Well, how do I know that, you know, you haven't had your last period already? You mean, if you're going to get another period three months from now and you start hormones, you're still going to get that period. So, you know, it can be confusing in the early phases of starting hormone therapy. And that's why I said within that first year of initiating therapy, any abnormal bleeding or any bleeding that you have, yes, inform your doctor. And they may say, well, sure, let's just keep an eye on it. It is much more problematic if you've been on hormone replacement for three years and start bleeding, not within that first initial period, because usually we give you about a six-month grace period from when you start hormones as to whether or not we get excited about any bleeding. Usually there's a simple explanation for it. I, I had a situation similar to that, and they changed the estrogen that I was taking, and I started bleeding again, and I was I was terrified. Then they've dialed that back a little. I'm just hoping that's something that is common <laughs> there. Right. And and it is. And and I think, but there again, they're very simple ways to answer that question. You know, um, sometimes it's just as simple as getting an ultrasound just to make sure that the lining of the uterus looks okay. And you go, okay, looks great. Don't worry. You know, hang in there for another few months before we do anything sort of invasive or any biopsy type testing. Um, but some common reasons why women can bleed when they're on hormone replacement is sometimes just forgetting to take your dose, you know, because if you forget, if you start skipping and you're like, oh, did I take my hormones? And it's been three or four days since you had your last dose. Usually a hot flash will remind you of that, but sometimes the first sign will be some bleeding that you may or may not have had. And I'm going to take you way back to the old birth control pill days. The reason why you get your period when you're on birth control pills, it's you take the hormones, your estrogen and your progestin, which is the same basic components that are in hormone replacement therapy. You, in the old days, you would take them for 21 days, stop taking them and your period would come. And it's the withdrawal, the taking the hormones away that triggers the bleeding. That's what causes a period when you're on birth control pills. Well, imagine when you're on hormone replacement therapy, the same thing happens. If you've been taking your hormone therapy, you know, every day and you forget it for three or four days, it may trigger that same sort of withdrawal bleeding, you know, that will give you a slight period where you may not have gotten one had you been taking your doses as scheduled. So that's why I said don't ignore it. But if you're, you know, if you're beyond six months, you know, into your hormone therapy, 
it is worth a conversation at least to say, hey, should I be worried about that? And what can I do to figure out whether this is something I should be concerned about or not? How long should women stay on HRTs once they are postmenopausal or menopausal, but past the 12 months? Exactly. Now, isn't that a good question? I mean, it is an excellent one, as a matter of fact, because it's one that we've bandied about for 20 years. Um, And I think since the Women's Health Initiative came out um, in 2002, the recommendations were so nebulous. It sort of said women should be on the lowest dose for the least amount of time. Well, that's as clear as mud, right? Uh, (laughs) How long is that? Um, We know when you're on the right dose because you're on the right dose of hormones when your symptoms go away. You know, and and that's sort of usually what we will titrate to. Well, you know, for women who are having either sleeplessness or hot flashes, we know you're good when you say, all right, that's it. Symptoms are gone. But the how long piece of it has been um, a, a matter of debate. The Women's Health Initiative got stopped at five years uh, for women who took estrogen and progestin. So they don't know how long is too long or not. And so that sort of uh, guidance was not very helpful. But the good news is that the North American Menopause Society just recently came out with new guidelines. And it said two things that are really important. One is that there is no need to routinely stop hormones at any particular age. And they use 65 because some doctors would say, okay, you're on hormones, you're doing great, but you're getting older, so let's stop them. And the North American Menopause Society and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has said, there's no real, there's no science behind that about routine discontinuation of hormones. As long as you do not have reasons that you should stop, such as breast cancer or a blood clot or undiagnosed bleeding. Those are the hard stops for everyone. But if you are healthy, you haven't had a heart attack or stroke, and you are doing well and you wish to continue your hormones, that is an individual decision between you and your provider. But that was, I think, very, very important information because that it has sort of gotten out there in the world that women could only take for two or three years, or you should stop by 60, or you should stop. And all of that really was based on no science. It was just someone's interpretation of when is when is the least amount for you know the shortest period of time and everybody had a different answer for that you know you brought up some interesting things in there when you said the breast cancer the heart attack the blood clots and we get a lot of questions from our group and our listeners about that that they want some form of relief but either they have had breast cancer or they have their mother had breast cancer are there solutions out there for women like them Yes. And but let me let me sort of back up a little bit and to tell you who is actually who actually cannot take hormones. And if you personally have had breast cancer, then you are not a candidate to take hormone replacement because, you know, we can debate whether or not that is true or not. But I think that's a safe middle of the road place to get go. If you have had breast cancer, no. Now, I think what's more um, um 
what's more common is you have a family history of breast cancer. And here is also some very good news that came out of the, the newest recommendations from North American Menopause Society. A family history of breast cancer is not, and let me underline not, a contraindication to taking hormone replacement. And I think that a lot of women think that because their mother had breast cancer or because a sister had premenopausal breast cancer, that they cannot or should not take hormones. And basically what we have now, the benefit of, of knowing and watching these 20 years in, since the Women's Health Initiative, what we found is that that is not um, the, a family history is not a contraindication. For every individual woman, your risk for developing breast cancer is what it is. And the question is, how much does adding hormone replacement therapy after menopause add to that risk? And I think we can say safely now is that risk is minimal to non-existent. Now, I can't tell you you won't get breast cancer because your risk is your risk. But let me put it in terms of even from the, the worst case scenario, the Women's Health Initiative, what would the attributable risk of taking hormones be? And this is worst case scenario, not even the later data. Taking hormone replacement therapy after menopause um, increases your risk, the equivalent of drinking a glass of wine a day, of being overweight, you know. Uh, so there are a lot of things that are, again, as risky, if when I say risky, and I'm using that in the, in, in the worst possible way, but you know what I mean? It's not as if um, you would say to a woman that when someone says, and this is sort of how we got down this path, when someone says your risk of taking, of developing breast cancer is elevated by 26%. Oh, sounds horrible. Who wants a 26% increase in risk in breast cancer? But what does that really mean in terms of your overall absolute risk? And what a 20%, 26% increase means is that if you take nothing, if you're on no hormones whatsoever and you're at average risk of breast cancer, your risk, you know, the population risk of developing breast cancer 30 women per 10,000 will develop breast cancer in one year. What if you look at the, again, worst case scenario, the synthetic progestin and estrogen, what does that risk go up to when, if you take hormones? And the Women's Health Initiative said that risk went from 30 per 10,000 to 38 per 10,000. So you're talking about in the worst case scenario, an additional less than one per thousand women per year will develop breast cancer, arguably because of their use of hormones. And that doesn't sound nearly as scary as a 26% increase in your risk of breast cancer. So that's why I said you have to be really careful when you're, you know, when you're looking at statistics. You really have to say, okay, well, you know, if I told you buy my lucky charm and you have twice the you know you have twice the chance of winning winning the lottery the mega power the the powerball and then you said okay well your choice was one in a hundred million now it's two in a hundred million you wouldn't want to buy my charm because you guess what you're still probably not going to win that lottery and that's what I want women to think about when they think of uh, of breast cancer because the news keeps coming out. 
And it gets better and better because it depends not only upon the timing, the age at which you start uh, uh, hormone therapy, but it also depends upon, um, you know, what your other lifestyle risk factors are. Not exercising, being overweight, drinking two or more glasses of alcohol a day, but no one's advocating, oh my God, alcohol should be banned or women should, you know, not drink. I mean, these are all sort of calculated decisions that we make. And I think that that has been the biggest issue I've had is that so much about whether or not to do or not do or take or not take has been dictated to us. And I think that women have the agent, they should have the agency and given the proper information, you can decide. And and that's all I ask because I'm here not to advocate necessarily for hormones or no hormones. I'm here for making sure that women have the information that they need, proper information, not skewed data that makes you fearful. You should be making the decision to do hormones or not do hormones based on how you feel, how, what are your expectations, you know, for how you would like to live your life and quality of life is not insignificant. And that in and of itself should be the end, the beginning and end of the story. But there really are long-term health benefits for women who take hormone therapy, decrease in the risk of osteoporosis, decrease in the risk of type two diabetes, um, and decrease in the risk of urinary recurrent urinary tract infections, sexual dysfunction, painful intercourse, all of these things sort of go into um, the decision to take or not take. So I, I have just always been dismayed that that conversation has really not been a two-way conversation. It's been someone saying yes or no, or a doctor telling you you can't have this, or women automatically taking themselves out of the conversation, thinking that they can't take it because my sister had breast cancer or you know, my 80 year old great aunt had breast cancer, and that absolutely should not be uh, a deciding factor. With the hormones now at a lower level, now that you've gone through those 12 months, are do some women find that their symptoms start to get a little bit easier because the hormones are now level as opposed to the roller coaster you're, ride you're on in perimenopause? I'll tell you, there are a few things that do get better eventually. Um, the brain fog that women complain about a lot during the perimenopausal transition, that's the worst. Um, some of the mood disturbances that women have, the sort of, you know, that up and down, you know, depression, anxiety for women that do not have a pre-existing, you know, condition of uh, uh, ear, uh, of depression or anxiety, we'll find that some of that tends to settle down. The hot flashes eventually settle down. But when I say eventually, hot flashes can go on anywhere from, you know, not at all for some women, the lucky few that don't get them. And some women are still having hot flashes into their 70s or 80s. Now, they're the outliers on both sides of that. But the average woman will have hot flashes anywhere between four and 10 years. And all the resultant um, complications that happen after that. Sleep disturbance, you know, 
if you if you are having hot flashes and night sweats that keep you up at night, you're not going to sleep well. You are not going to perform well the next day at your job. It's going to worsen brain fog um, and your mood. I can assure you, you know, for someone who's spent a big portion of my career getting up in the middle of the night and being up all night and having to work the next day, it does not put you in a very good mood. Uh, so it's probably better for all involved that you get a good night's sleep. But those things, and this is what I'm saying, these are the things that tend to get better. The hot flashes get better. The moods tend to settle down. The brain fog tends to just get into normal, you know, whatever an aging brain feels like, but it's not that intense brain fog. Those get better. However, there are things that get worse. And what are those things? Sexual function, the, even for women who have not had issues in the past, um, the vaginal dryness uh, and thinning, uh, the changes that are in the vulva, some women complain of burning, itching vulvas, urinary tract infections because your um, the, the, the microbiome, the, the bacteria that normally live in your vagina that keep your vaginal pH low, which is where it's supposed to be, changes. These are things that will happen and will continue to happen. You're, you start to lose bone density uh, and when your estrogen levels plummet, that bone loss is most rapid in the first five years, you know, the, within five years of your last menstrual period. Uh, that will continue. So that's why these are things that may be happening in the background that you're unaware of. You know, the skin problems that women start to have, women start to notice that there's more wrinkling, there's more dryness of the skin, there's itchiness. All of those things. And that's why it's important to know that menopause is not an event. It is a life phase that you will be in from the moment you've gone from that 12 months uh, of your last menstrual period until the day you close your eyes. You will be feeling the effects of menopause and the changes in your body that uh, accompany menopause forever. And, and, you know, again, uh, a point that I really want to make clear is that menopause is not just, you know, estrogen and lack thereof is not just does not affect your reproductive organs. It affects everything in your body, joint pain, you know, the, the microbiome in your gut changes as you get older. And some of that, and there are estrogen receptors there. There are estrogen receptors in your eyes, in your brain. And I mean, you name it, and we have estrogen receptors in our body. And I think that we sort of spend a lot of time thinking of it as just a reproductive hormone. But no, as women or people who are born with ovaries, if you make estrogen, it is having its effects over your entire body. And once you no longer have that hormone, then you will start to feel the effects of that estrogen deficiency. And you know that so many women don't realize that. They just like you just said, so many women don't realize the role it plays in everything. And you brought up so many great things that it does affect, one of them being UTIs. We get a lot of questions about that as well. And I've seen, I th you wrote an article as well, I read about 
um, vaginal creams. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Because there are, now here is the good news. Not everyone is, is either going to want to take or maybe does not need to take full dose systemic hormones. And by that, I mean either oral estrogen and progesterone or patch pills, creams and sprays. Okay, so that's systemic. And that works best for women that are having, you know, hot flashes, mood swings, all of those things. So, but there are some women who, again, that lucky few um, who get through the menopausal process don't really have a lot in terms of um, uh, systemic um, symptoms. But as I said, there's the things that get worse the vaginal um, issues get worse. The the painful sex gets worse. Sometimes inability to have an orgasm. All of these things tend to happen later. And sometimes you don't link it necessarily to menopause. You just think, oh, I'm just getting old and that's what this is all about. But it is intimately tied to that lack of estrogen. UTIs, now something you don't really think about, but your bladder also has estrogen receptors in it. So not only your vagina, your urethra, your the lower portion of your bladder, all estrogen sensitive tissue. And as I said, not only the, the pH in your vagina changes, different bacteria start to populate your vagina. And those different bacteria that you've lost your protective bacteria and the others can cause urinary tract infections. And when the tissue is thin, it's more easily, it's more fragile. It's easy to call, cause damage or even just minor trauma. Women can sometimes have this, they're not even sexually active and it's just wiping. You know, any minor trauma can, you know, cause bacteria to get into places where it's not supposed to be. So, Urinary tract infections, whether or not you are sexually active, can be a problem, as well as urinary symptoms like urgency and frequency, you know, inability to, you know, it's a very common thing where women are like, oh, you know, that whole, I got to go, I got to go. Um, it's because you don't think about, but your bladder is also has estrogen receptors in it. And when you don't have enough estrogen, then that tissue gets thinner, weaker, and not able to perform as intended. And does that take over time? I'm, I'm thinking in terms, honestly, personally, I'm now nine months into no cycle. So I'm, you know, waiting for that 11 month, 29 day period that's going to show up. <laughs> but with fingers crossed, if I were to pass, would it happen over time that you would start to notice that thinning or the pain? Or is it something you notice pretty quickly after your estrogen goes to a minimal level? No, it, it happens over time because if you are, even if you don't have it now, you will be in a very different place two years from now or three years from now than you are today. And that's something, that's why I said people don't really think of it as a menopause thing is because, or an estrogen or lack thereof, because it can happen many years after as the tissue itself starts to thin and weaken. Now, and, and getting back to, I guess, the original question, Bridget, see, this is also what happens too. You start on one path. <laughs> I, I do it all the time. with that, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and where we were going with that, the, your original question was, well, then what can you do about that? Hey, I don't have hot flashes. I don't have this other stuff. I'm not at risk for osteoporosis. I just have, you know, vaginal dryness and urinary stuff. You can use 
topical estrogen. And by topical estrogen, I mean vaginal cream. But topical estrogen can be delivered as a cream, as a ring, the little silastic ring, um, as vaginal tablets. And the difference being is that the, the amount of estrogen that's delivered locally right there to the vagina um, is far less than what you would need if you were trying to deal with hot flashes. So you can take care of those urine, those pesky, you know, painful dry sex problems, urinary issues by just using a very low, low dose topical estrogen. And the key to that is that it needs to be used consistently. You don't, it's not the kind of thing where you take it, now I feel better. Okay, now I can stop. Because the the condition is still there. And the minutes like being Cinderella and it's midnight, you know, when this clock strikes and you take it away, everything will eventually go back to the way it was. And for women who, and, and this is also, I mean, I'm, you, your timing is impeccable here because I just recently, you know, went through all the North, the new guidelines for, from the North American menopause society. And basically there are almost no contraindications to using topical estrogen. Even they've come around to say that even for women who have had breast cancer, whereas you may not be a candidate for systemic estrogen, you can use topical estrogen because the dose is so low and the effects are, you know, you know, are life-saving for some women. I mean, it's it would be terrible that in addition to everything else, and particularly for, you know, younger women and women who are sexually active to say, well, too bad for you. We got nothing other than lube. I wanted to go into a little bit more about Alloy and the mm -hmm. starting of the company. And what questions do you get asked from some of the clients that, that contact you there about postmenopause? You know, the biggest problem, and I think that Alloy uh, Women's Health is trying to address, is this information, there's this lack of information. I mean, the fact that we are here in 2022 and we are still discussing and women are still walking around with 20-year-old information from the Women's Health Initiative and thinking that is still the current, you know, state of our knowledge. Um, and it would be bad enough if it were just women who were misinformed there are doctors that are misinformed. And unless you find menopause to be your passion, um, most doctors do not keep up with the current literature and uh, about menopause and hormone therapy. So it is quite possible for even the fortunate woman who has an OBGYN or who has an internal medicine doctor who is coming in complaining to have your doctor wave you off the most effective treatment for the symptoms of menopause, and that's unfortunate. And then there's the huge swath of, of women out there who live in areas that they don't even have access to an OBGYN. I mean, you know, there are over 20 million women in this country of our, you know, of a menopausal age who do not have an, an OBGYN that they have access to within their geographic location. And I don't think that any woman's information or their access should be limited by where you live. And that is why something, you know, like Alloy exists. 
It is to provide information for all women. It is to really democratize that information such that, you know, a woman who lives in New York City should have no less, you know, no, no more information than someone who lives in Kalamazoo, Mississippi. You know, I mean, there's there's just no reason why. Um, and if you have access to quality information, and I emphasize quality because we all know there's a lot of stuff on the internet, but you don't really know how to decide what's a good source, what's not a good source, who's trying to take advantage. And Alloy is trying to be that trusted space for women. Do we provide community? We want to provide education and then give you access if you do not have a physician who is either willing to prescribe hormone replacement therapy or is uh, or you don't even have access to a doctor that could do it either way. So that's our reason for being. Um, and I'll tell you what we are not. And I think it's important for women to know this too. We are not here to replace your doctor. We have a very specific mission. And our mission is to provide access to community, information, and medication for symptomatic women. Though that that's why we're here. We are not your doctor. We're not your primary care doctor. Okay. We, there are things that we cannot do and they we do not discourage you. And actually we encourage you actively to do all of the health um, risk mitigation things that you should do. See your doctor for a physical, get blood work, get your mammogram, get your colonoscopy. All of that needs to be done. And, and just if you, you know, if we understand that, what, you know, niche we're really trying to fill. That's what Alloy Women's Health has done. And I, and actually, and I've heard story after story after story about women, in, believe it or not, in New York City, who will go to their doctor and their doctor will say, no, you can't have it. Or here's, yes, you can have it, but they will give you these um, compounded supposedly bioidentical hormones, they charge thousands of dollars of blood work in terms of hormone testing, which you do not need, mind you, that's number one, and then will give you um, prescriptions for these compounded medications, which are not FDA approved, not inspected, not regulated. You have no idea whether what's in it is what they said is in it, nor is it, do you have any, um, independent verification that the amount is even correct. So I would say, you know, sometimes you can have too much access and that would be the case in large cities where you have these doctors and naturopaths who give women pellets and the like and and don't think for a moment that those are safer than bioidentical commercially prepared hormones, because at least you know that they are manufactured to a standard, which you have no independent verification of for compounded products. If a woman wants to contact Alloy, what is the best way to do this? And I'd also uh, another part of that, I noticed the products on Alloy and how are they prescribed? Yes, um, we use only FDA approved uh, menopausal hormone therapy. We also use um, um, most all of our uh, postmenopausal or menopausal therapy is bioidentical, which all that means that is not the same thing as compounded. It just means that the hormones that we use are the same 
native compound that your ovaries made when you were making hormones themselves. So that's that's what we use for our, our hormonal um, menopausal hormonal therapy. We also use low dose birth control pills because it's a different. We're not going. We didn't go into that today, but it's a different mission for women who are perimenopausal than for women who are postmenopausal. Perimenopausal women need usually control of bleeding. They need contraception in many cases, and so as well as cycle control. So that's why the only reason why we do not use bioidentical hormones in perimenopausal women, because we use birth control pills and there are no bioidentical birth control pills. They do not exist. And we provide, um, and we also have hormonal cream um, for the women who either, like I said, do not, can't take hormones, don't need them, but they have the urinary symptoms. And we also use, again, FDA approved a low dose paroxetine, which is a, um, um, it's usually used as a low dose, uh, it's an antidepressant, but we use it a much lower dose than what you would use to treat depression. But it is for women who, again, are contraindicated, you know, you cannot take hormones. And then we at least have something to deal with. And that is specifically just for hot flashes. It doesn't deal with any of the other symptoms. We certainly appreciate you sharing your expertise today because you answered so many questions that our listeners have asked us about postmenopause and the menopause journey. Because like you said, it could be 30 or 40 years and how do you want to live it? So thank you so much, Dr. Malone. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Malone, for answering such important questions and bringing light to so many important just things that are happening to women whenever we're going through this final menopause stage. And when I say final, 30, 40, 50 years, <laughs> That's I'm a not long saying finale. final, like six months, but I'm saying, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives and the opportunities we have in the rest of our lives? So make sure you go Go to myalloy.com, menopause relief, right to your door, and just check out what they have. If you don't have the quality care that you seek where you live, check out that area first. And also, there's NAMS. Um, please go to NAMS because you can find if there is a NAMS certified doctor in your area because that's so important too. I mean, th if they are NAMS certified, you're going to know that they know the latest and the greatest about menopause. And make sure that you follow us on all our social media platforms. We have TikTok. We have Instagram. We have our hot flash shop. We have a great Facebook group. And we also have a Facebook page. And please, if you are in New York City, make sure that you check out our marvelous Mrs. Menopause on October 19th that we are having with Care Beauty. And also it's virtual. So if you can't be in New York, you can get a virtual ticket to that as well. Would we you virtually guests. want to see us? I mean, come oh, on. yeah. And all of the panel discussions, I'm really excited. I'm eager to learn so much from these wonderful women that will be there. It's at One World Trade Center, and it is from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So just check that out. Have a great day, guys. We will talk to you next time. Bye.